Today we are starting a new series. It's called Roommates, Bad Dates, and Great Mates. And the title of my message is How to Have a Great Date. How to Have a Great Date. And we're just going to dive right into this. And I want to share with you two ways to have a great date. Two ways to have a great date. The first way is set boundaries. The first way is set boundaries. And you may be thinking, why boundaries? Why do I need to set boundaries? Here is why. Romans chapter 6 verse 19 says this. It says, I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. Matthew chapter 26 verse 41 says, these are Jesus' words, he says, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Our bodies... Our flesh, because of our human nature, we are weak. And we must set boundaries because if we don't, we set ourselves up for failure. If we don't set boundaries, we open doors for mistakes, regrets, and nasty breakups. We open doors for depression and problems. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23, it says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. See, we need to set boundaries so that we can guard our heart, so that we can protect ourselves, because we are weak. So what kind of boundaries should we set? And I want to give you a few suggestions, and I just want to say I'm, I'm not an expert on this. I'm not Dr. Love. I haven't gone to seminars. I, I, I don't know any of those things. I just want to share some insight from my life as well as, as from the life of others. But here's one suggestion of boundary is make a list of non-negotiables. Make a list of non-negotiables. Non-negotiables are standards that you want to set that you're going to stick to. Convictions that you are going to live by. And I encourage you to set them high. Some examples of a non-negotiable. Some of you, you've done real well with your money. You have a savings. You have good credit. You, you tithe. You, you have, you, you've done very well. It would be safe for you to have a non-negotiable that you want to date somebody that also is good with their money. That you don't want to date somebody that has bad credit and lots of debt and, and doesn't have good spending habits. But you want to find somebody that has a good budget. That, that would be an okay Non-negotiable. Another non-negotiable that, that would work is, is, is uh, to, to be equally yoked. What that means is that whoever you date, you want to be on the same spiritual level as they are. Because if you're not, that can lead to problems. It can lead to arguments. It could lead to issues. You also may want to set non-negotiables with character issues. That a non-negotiable for you is that someone will have integrity. That they'll be honest. That they'll be trustworthy. My mom and dad got divorced when I was 10. And my dad's kind of been in, in the dating game ever since. And an integrity is a big deal to him. That is a non-negotiable. If a lady is dishonest or lies to him, that's it. He's cutting it off. And my dad has chosen uh, to, to date over the internet. He kind of does the match.com thing or whatever. You know, he does the internet. And he's, he's a brave soul. I don't, I don't think I could ever do that. Just meet somebody, email them, and then meet them someplace. 
But, that, but that's what he's chosen to do. And, and I'll explain to you a little bit later why he's chosen to go that route. But one day, you know, he's, he's looking up on the Internet. And this was about five years ago when he was 50 years old. And he's looking up, um, you know, ladies in Indianapolis. And he finds this lady and it says her name is 50. And so he's reading about her. And, and he's looking at her picture and he's like, wow, she looks younger than 50, you know, she, she looks good. And so, you know, he hit her up with a little email, you know, like, how you doing, you know, and, and she was like, I'm all right. How you doing? You know, and sent him one back. And so they're emailing back and forth and finally decide to, to, to get together, to meet up. And so they, they pick a, a coffee shop to get together. And, and my, my dad, he's, he's kind of a smooth operator. All right. Like my, my dad be rocking the pinky ring. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, yeah. Yeah. He got the pinky ring. He got, you know, has his shirt a little unbuttoned with a little gold chain hanging down. And he's smooth. I'm tell, my, my dad's so smooth. One day we were out. He was helping me buy a car. And we're finalizing the, the purchase of the car. And the lady, I'm sitting there next to my dad. And the lady's like, is there anything else I can do for you? He said, yeah, you can put your number right there. And I'm like, oh, dad, dad, whoa. Let me go outside. This is awkward. <laughs> like... I'll tell you, he's smooth. He ain't got no shame in his game. And so, you know, he got all dressed up and he's excited about meeting this lady at Starbucks, you know. And, and so he gets to Starbucks and he's there and he's, and there's people there and he's looking, but he's not seeing her anywhere, you know. And so he's looking, saw the people there. Oh, she's not here. So, oh, man, I'll just wait. Maybe she's running a little late. You know, he's probably hoping, man, I hope I didn't get stood up. I was really looking forward to meet this lady. And as he's standing there, one of the ladies he saw sitting there pops up and she's like, hey, David. And he's like, hey. Uh, do I know you? And she's like, yeah, remember, I'm, I'm so-and-so. We emailed. And he's like, okay, my dad just got LASIK. So he's like, I know my eyes can't be that bad. Let me, hey, you know, that's not good when you show up and you can't even recognize the person that you saw on the internet. And so he's like, okay. And on the picture, she looked like she was under 50, but now in person, she looked like she's over 60. So what is going on here? So my dad, he double-checked, your name is? And she's like, yeah. And so my dad wanted to be cool. He didn't just want to come out and ask her because he's like, okay, what's going on? So he sits down. So he asks her, well, hey, do you have any kids? And she's like, yeah, matter of fact, I do. He's like, okay, how many kids do you have? She said, two. She says, I have one that's uh, 36 and another one that's 38. And uh, let's see, let's see, 50 minus 38 is 12. And I guess it could be possible. So my dad just busted it out. How old are you? And she said, well, she said, well, my, my real age is 60, but I feel 50. So, I guess, so that's, you know... And my dad's like, well, you could have put that on the description in an updated picture to help a brother out. Because you may feel 50, but you look over 60. I didn't even recognize you when we came here. And, and, and up front, I mean, that, that's an integrity issue. I mean, okay, okay, it's nice that you may feel 50, but put that in your description. I'm 60, but I'm really young at heart, you know, and I feel like I'm 50. I'm, you know, and update the picture, you know, right there. He was like, oh, yeah, you know, this is probably not going to work. And so they, they didn't mean, but integrity is a, a big issue. It's one of his non-negotiables. You know, it's, it's good to have lifestyle non-negotiables as well. And I mentioned to you, my dad does the Internet thing. And the reason he does that is because my dad was an alcoholic. And so he used to go to bars and clubs a lot. Well, now that he's, you know, not an alcoholic anymore, one of his non-negotiables is he will not go to bars and clubs to meet girls. He won't do it. It's a non-negotiable for him because of his past. And so that's why he chooses to do it over the Internet. 
Also, because of his past, because he was alcoholic, it's a non-negotiable for my dad. He will not date somebody that drinks. He won't do it. Even if it's just a social drinker, he, he will not. Even if it's a little sip here and there, it's a non-negotiable for him because it was a part of his lifestyle. He used to smoke. He quit smoking over 20-something years ago. It, again, it's his personal non-negotiable. He will not date somebody that smoked. You may be saying, man, your, your dad has high standards. Or some of you might be thinking, ooh, I might want to meet him. Hey, just come talk to me after service. I can hook you up. No, I'm just fine. But... Seriously, my dad's funny. When I was getting these stories from him, he's like, yeah, if you're meeting any nice ladies. I'm like, yeah, you're in Indianapolis. You need to stop. But anyway, he's got those non-negotiables. And I would encourage you, get some non-negotiables. Make some standards and set them high. Raise the bar. Write them down and stick to them. It's probably good for you to have some non-negotiables about when you do go out with someone. You know, I always hear people say, you know, well, I don't kiss on the first date. Oh, that's a good non-negotiable. Maybe for you, you know, I'm not going to kiss until the fifth or sixth or maybe the tenth date. Or, or you know what, I'm not going to kiss till I got a ring on here, till I got some commitment. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I don't know what it is, but, but set it for yourself. Set your standards even before you go out so you don't get yourself in sticky situations. Another good standard would be, you know, whether you're going to choose to go home with somebody or... Just even be alone with them. You know what I mean? Because again, where, where are we? You get alone, some Barry White gets turned on, and that, well, you know what happens next. You know, and you come to church feeling all guilty. I didn't mean to do that, Jesus. You know, and set some standards. Set some, you know, look, all right, no Barry White and not being alone. You know, we're just not going to do that. Set some, and again, I'm kind of joking, but seriously, set some standards. Set some non-negotiables so that you can set yourself up for success and so that you can protect yourself. By doing that, you guard your heart. You protect your future. Make a list of non-negotiables and stick to them. The second boundary or, or that, I would, that, that I would encourage you to set is to get God's approval. Get God's approval. Let God also be a boundary for you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 through 10, it says, However as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. I believe with all of my heart, if you make God a part of the process, you make Him a part of the equation, you talk to Him, you ask for His approval, that His Spirit is either going to give you confirmation or His Spirit's going to say, uh uh uh, stay away from them. I believe He will because God cares about your future. He cares about your relationships. He cares about your future partner. He cares about how you're going to spend your life. He cares about you being protected. And so I believe He will give you wisdom if you ask Him for wisdom. If you ask Him about a situation, I believe His Spirit will either give you a peace to move forward or it will put something unsettling inside of you like, okay, I need, to, I need to back away from this one. When I went to college, um, I had previously been in a relationship my senior year in high school for about a year and a half. And uh, maybe a half a year before I went to college, that relationship had ended. We just kind of went different paths and I had just given my heart to the Lord and I was living for the Lord. And, and the young lady was actually kind of struggling, kind of walking away from the Lord. And so we just really split. It was kind of a nasty breakup. But uh, just after I left for college, she wanted to get back together. And she was back in church and she was getting her life right. And friends were calling me, telling me, yes, yeah, she is. She's living for Jesus. She, she's giving it her all. Her life's being changed. And, and, you know, again, we dated for like a year and a half. Like it would have been very easy for me to just get right back into this relationship. I knew her parents. Her parents knew me. They really liked me. They wanted us to get back together. 
But I decided, you know what, man, I've been through too much heartache. The last time it was just a nasty breakup. It was, it was depressing. It, it was not enjoyable. And so I'm like, you know, I need to pray about this. I need to really think through this because I don't want to go through that again. And so as I started to pray through it, something was just unsettled in my spirit. And I didn't know what it was because on the outside, everything was great. She was living for God. My friends were encouraging it. Parents were encouraging it. Everyone was all for it. But in my prayer time, just something didn't feel right. Matter of fact, I had one day, I was talking to a buddy about this close friend of mine named Jason. And we happened to be at the mall. And I I value Jason's opinion. And so I was kind of talking to him about, man, you know, everything looks great and I want to, but something doesn't feel right when I'm praying. And so we're talking about that. And I kid you not, we're talking about this, okay? And let's say her name is Sammy, okay? We're walking and we're, we pass the cookie store. You guys ever seen the cookie store? You know what I'm saying? They got the cookies and they'll have like little writing and they'll have big cookies. And little... So we're walking past the cookie drawer, and I kid you not, cookie store. There is a cookie, a big cookie in the shape of a heart, and it said Chris and Sammy forever. And I'm like, dude, you see that cookie? And he looks at, I mean, you think that's a sign from God? I mean, like, I mean, like, what a coincidence. We're talking about this. And there it is, the cookie saying to me, Chris and Sammy forever. I'm like, dude, you think that's a sign from God? And my Jason, he's a good friend. He's like, this could be a sign from the devil. I said, oh, he said, yeah, it could be a sign from the devil. And I'm and some of y'all in here. You all you're kind of into the signs. You're like, that would have been it. That would have been done deal. You would have saw that cookie. You were like, boop, 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 boop. it's meant to be, baby. It is God. I saw a cookie with your name and my name on it. We need to get married right now. And so Jason, being a good friend he is, he said, man, you better not make your decision off no cookie. He said, I will bust you up if you get back out here because of that cookie, right? He said, that cookie could be from the devil. So I went home and I prayed about the cookie. I did. I said, God, was that a sign? If it is, Lord, wow. You know, and, but you know what? Again, I prayed and in my spirit, I was just, I stayed unsettled. And so I finally, I said, look, I said, I said, I can't explain it to you. I just know when I pray, I don't feel comfortable with this. And she would kind of get upset. And, you know, I'm trying to look. You know, and I'm like, look, I'm sorry. And come to find out a couple of weeks before I get home, while she is still pursuing me, trying to get us to go back out, she was sleeping with another guy and pregnant with his baby. Well, I was like, thank you, Jesus, that I didn't start dating her. I mean, yeah, oh, a little bit. But I'm like, thank you, Lord, that I did a little dance thanking Jesus for that little unsettled spirit. Can you imagine what that would have felt like if I would have decided, you know, yeah, let's get, let's go out. Let's be together. And all of a sudden, a couple months later, she's like, surprise. That would have been horrible. And so I thank God. I thank him for his approval. I, I man, I, I'm so glad that I handled that situation that way. And I encourage you in the same, get God's approval, ask him. And I believe he'll steer you. He will lead you. He'll give you peace or he'll like you did with me. There'll be something unsettled. And I encourage you, listen to him. He knows what's best. Nobody knew this. This was a last minute thing that she was with this guy and that she got pregnant. Nobody knew. None of my friends, I mean, some of my closest friends that were like, get with her, man. Nobody knew. But God knew. And he was able to protect me. So I encourage you, get God's approval. Parents and grandparents, I encourage you to set boundaries for your students. Your students right now, their hormones are just going crazy. They're going everywhere. They want boyfriends and girlfriends, and they're just like, ah! And they they have that. And what you can do is you can set them up for success by setting boundaries. You can prevent some heartache, and you can prevent some pain. 
And I'm just going to share with you some suggestions. And again, I wish I could tell you I have these suggestions because uh, I had these boundaries. No, I was the one that was trying to break the boundaries and break the rules. So hopefully I'll give you some insight from my mistakes. First boundary I would strongly suggest is I would encourage you to not allow your student to be with their date alone in your house. Now, I know some of you are thinking, duh, I'd encourage you even with you in the house. These students are slick. They are smart and they are quick. Basements, I don't know what it is about a basement. I don't know if it's a change of temperature. I don't know if it's because there are no windows. But a teenage young man and young woman in a basement, they just, it's just, it, something's going to happen. And you think it's okay because by the time you open the door, take a few steps to finally see what's going on, it looks like they're all separated and you're like, oh, look, they're so good. Yeah, they are good. Just a second ago, they were doing everything and they split up real fast because they heard that door open. They got these ears that are like radars and sonars that they know every creak in your house, especially the stairs. And if they're upstairs and they know you're downstairs, they know what step you're on just by the different creeks. It's like creek, 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 creek. And they know they're making out, doing their thing, and their ears are like, no, 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 listening for those. And as soon as they hear that creek, whoa, get off me. You go over there, I'm over here. They're like reading their Bible in the corner, and you come up there. Oh, praise Jesus. <laughs> they're quick. They're smart. You know, maybe just keep doors open. They can hear your footsteps, too. You could be in some slippers on some carpet. They can hear the carpet crunch. I'm telling you, when they're doing stuff wrong, their ears go, their ears go on high alert. And they know they're slick. So you just, and again, I, you know, I don't want you to go crazy here like, that's it, we're taking off all the doors, and you're going to sit right next to me on the couch, and please don't do that, because you're just going to have a rebellious child. that's <laughs> like, well, I'm going to go somewhere else, you know, and... But just use wisdom. Set some boundaries up. Here's another boundary I'd encourage you to set. No blankets allowed. Mm -hmm. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, no blankets? <laughs> Let me explain. To a young teenage couple, a blanket is not a blanket. It's a shield. It's a cover-up. Not to cover them up because they're cold but to cover up what they're doing underneath that blanket. That's exactly what it is. No blankets allowed. I'm telling you, in my day where I was just living wild or whatever, it was a challenge. It was like a game. I look forward to being in the same room with the parents and have a blanket. I'm sitting there smiling, talking to them, and I got this arm up blocking the bacon because you don't see the blanket move because I got this arm blocking it, but I still have a free hand. You know what I mean? And I'm smiling, talking to them, and if they only knew what was happening underneath that blanket, I'm telling you, if you chase me with an axe, a shotgun, you would see a, a missing persons report. They're slick. It was a game. I did it at friends' house, in front of friends' parents. Just get that blanket. Burn your blankets. Burn them. Or turn up that thermostat. You know what I mean? Crank that bad boy. You don't need no blanket. It's 90 degrees in this house. <laughs> you don't need a blanket. Set some boundaries. I'd encourage you to set some boundaries outside of your house. Oh, and, and just a second, too, on the, on the blanket thing. Let me talk to some college and 20-somethings, too, some singles here. Y'all need the blanket thing, too, because I don't know what it is. You could be with your date watching a movie. The light's on. You know, you, like, got separation between you. You're being very good, very holy. And then you go for the blanket. 
Barry White turns on. And that's it. That's all she wrote. Burn the blankets. Another one I want to encourage parents, set boundaries outside of your house. Encourage group dating. I mean, here's the reality. There's a whole lot that can happen alone in a car. There's a lot. And you're like, oh, no, that car is ghetto. It's so small. These kids are flexible. <laughs> Let me tell you, where there is a will, there is a way. Don't leave them alone. There's a lot that can happen alone at the movie theaters. I'm just being real. Some, some students right now are like, why are you hating, Pastor Chris? Like, why are you, why are you being a hater? We want to protect you. A lot can happen at a movie theater. Parents, be smart. It's summertime. It's 90 degrees outside. There is no, they don't use blankets at a movie theater. They use jackets. There's no reason for your student to have a jacket going to the movie theater in the middle of summer when it's 90 degrees. You know what I mean? A lot can happen alone. Alone in the dark. Alone on a little walk to the park. A lot can happen. I'd encourage you to check and double check. What does that mean? Know where your students are. Again, where there's a will, there's a way. And these students are facing temptations unlike any before. And it's not saying that they're bad. It's just saying that we want to help protect them. I used to have my friends call my mom and act like their parents so that I could spend the night at their house and live a wild life, doing wild things. And see, my mom checked, but she didn't double check. I used to, when I didn't have a car, I'd go, I'd get, get on my bike. There was a, I had a girlfriend and she lived like 20 minutes away. I'd ride my bike over there. I'd just be telling, oh yeah, I'm just going for a ride in the neighborhood. Now, you figure my mom would have been like, okay, he, there's no way that boy's riding his bike for like two or three hours. Or maybe I told her I was going to a friend's house, but she wouldn't check. So I'd ride my bike to that girl's house and there was a little construction zone. And once, again, where there's a wheel, there's a way. Once I was riding through it, my bike got stuck in the mud. I had to leave my bike, had to walk the rest of the way, trouncing through mud. By the time I get there, all right, I'm all muddy and I'm thinking, how am I going to get home? I mean, that's like an hour walk. You know, I mean, like, what am I going to do? I'm nervous. I'm like, I can't call my parents. I'm in middle school, so none of my friends drive. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe pick me up on a bike, but they're not going to do that. I'm like, what am I going to do? And so I remember that there is a middle school right behind her house. And that middle school picks up kids from my neighborhood. And I'm in high school. So I walk over there. And believe it or not, they had an activity bus. So here I am, high school student. I get on the activity bus, get it to take me home. I didn't get caught. I didn't get in trouble. The footsteps I left with my mud, her parents were freaking out. Thought somebody tried to break into their house the night before because there were muddy footsteps. And we're like, oh, I can't believe somebody would do that, try to break into your house. Muddy footsteps. <laughs> it was me. And again, where there's a will, there's a way. And, and again, and, and it's not even, you know, and it's not even about good. And it's not even about bad. And, and I know some of you right now, you're like, oh, thank you, Jesus, that he's not my child. Praise you, Lord. <laughs> But guess what? I was hanging out with your child. I was probably influencing them. So just set some boundaries. And it's not about, again, it's not about good kids and bad kids or good people or bad people. It's about our human nature and our flesh. We are weak. We all face temptation. And, 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 and you know, it, it's strong, the temptation. And so you can be the best of person, but be caught up in the wrong situation with no boundaries and do something you regret. Do something that doesn't honor God. See, boundaries help prevent fires, not put out fires. Boundaries help prevent fires, not put out fires. Boundaries help prevent heartache. They help prevent the problems. The boundaries are so important because you can stop them before they even get started. See, I didn't have a lot of boundaries. 
Or I tried to find my way around them. And you know what? That led to a lot of bad dates, ugly breakups, and a lot of regrets. Now, I thank the Lord for His forgiveness. I thank Him for His grace. And, and God's done a great work in my life. And I've shared some stories with you about when I wasn't living for the Lord. But can I tell you, even once I got saved and I started dating Jamie, we still had to set boundaries. I mean, we're Christians. We're at Bible college pursuing God. Love Jesus with all of our heart. But we still had to, we still had to have boundaries because it was still difficult. Matter of fact, sometimes as a Christian, I think it can be even harder because it's easy for us to kind of justify. It's easy for us to, to look at a situation and be like, you know, it could have been easy for me and Jamie to say, well, we're going to get married anyway. You know, in God's eyes, we're already married, you know, even though the law doesn't recognize that. And God knows my heart. You know what I mean? He knows my heart. And it, yeah, God, God knows I was living in some sin. You know what I'm saying? And so it's easy to justify. And so we have to protect ourselves. We have to guard our hearts. We have to set boundaries. And you know, Jamie and I made those boundaries. We set those boundaries because we didn't want to have those moments where we constantly felt like we just felt bad for, for making mistakes. But the boundaries helped prevent the mistakes. We communicated. We talked. She talked, talked through her boundaries. I talked through my boundaries. We made our list of non-negotiables for our relationship so that one day we could be great mates. And can I tell you, because we did that, that's played a big part in us being great mates. I mean, there's other things that play a part in it, but that played a huge part because we were able to honor God with that relationship. If you set boundaries, you will have a great date and potentially a great mate. The second way to have a great date is be friends first. Be friends first. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 20 from the message. It says, become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33. It says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. See, by being friends first, you can avoid dating fools and bad company. Because you can get to know the person before it gets too serious and has to end in a nasty breakup. By being friends first, you can find out if they are all talk or if they are for real. By being friends first, you can build a friendship that can last instead of jumping into something, having a nasty breakup, and then hating each other. Because that's how nasty breakups normally turn out. You end up hating each other. It gets awkward for you guys. It gets awkward for your friends. You have to stop attending people's church because they're still attending and they won't go attend somewhere else. And you've got to try to pick what friends you're going to like and what friends you're going to talk to. Because your friends are now in the mix of all this drama, drama, hurt, depression. But if you be friends first, you can really get to know that person. You can really see, okay, yes, this is somebody with God's approval that I can take the next step with. Or you can say, oh, you know what? It's a good thing we're friends. <laughs> I could never date you. And you protect yourself. You guard your heart. My second year at college, there was a young lady that was interested in me. And, and I was interested in her. And she wanted to start dating right away. And... Uh, for me, I just I, you know, I wanted to live by this principle of being friends first. Matter of fact, I told her that. I said, look, I said, I'd rather be your friend first. I've been through breakups. I don't want to have to go through that. If I'm your friend first, we'll get to know each other. And, and, you know, and if things are working out well, then we can go from there. But if not, we're friends. And we can remain friends. And we don't have this drama, breakup, heartache, and all that junk. And so she was 
somewhat tentative because, you know, she was just, you know, you're in college, right? College, you're supposed to hook up and date everybody you possibly can, you know? She's like, huh? You know, and and so that kind of surprised her. But she's like, okay, you know, let's do that. And so we, we decided to be friends first. And we really got to learn a lot about each other. Found out she kind of had the, the thought of, uh, the idea that, you know, you got to test drive the car before you drive it. And I was like, ooh, okay, red flag. <laughs> well, we probably shouldn't date. I'm not trying to, you know, to get into some of that stuff. She was into, uh, at my college, they called it NCL. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's called non-committed lip. And uh, I'm like, no, uh, no, not really into that either. Again, I'm, marriage is for marriage, dating is for marriage. And so I don't want to be making out with somebody that I'm not going to eventually marry. And so I said, let's be friends first. And, and she realized, too, that she couldn't date me. Matter of fact, one day in the car, she got this real attitude with me. And she was like, I cannot date you because you don't know how to treat me like a Puerto Rican man would treat me. And I was like, wow, okay. I don't think I know what that means, but maybe somebody can give me interpretation or something like that. I Okay, you know, and, and we just realized it would not have worked. If we would have dated, it would have been bad news. We, we probably wouldn't have been friends. It would have been an ugly breakup. But you know what? We're friends. Today, we're still friends. She's friends with Jamie. We're, I'm friends with her and, and her husband. She's friends with, with our family. And by being friends first, I have now a friendship that lasts forever. And it worked out for her, too, because a couple months ago, she married a Puerto Rican man. You know? Well, God worked it out. And I'm married to Jamie, and I, I love being married to Jamie. And so being friends first made such a huge difference. And I tell that to students, everybody I mean, I'm like, man, be friends first. What do you got to lose by being friends first? Nothing. You get to really know somebody, and you get to kind of make that decision. Okay, yeah, let's take the next step, or uh, let's wait. And I'm proud to say that, that Jamie and I, we were best friends three years before we even started officially dating. Now she's my wife. She's my best friend for life. She's a great mate. And I'm, I'm just so blessed to have her in my life. And so I'd encourage you to be friends first. Parents, grandparents, I encourage you. Encourage your students to be friends first. And these students are too young to get in these serious I love you relationships. It's better for them to have lots of friends instead of lots of heartache and breakups. It'll save them some sorrow. I'm not, and again, and I'm not talking about being extreme. You know, obviously they're, they're going to date and you need to have your boundaries and your, sand, and your standards. But encourage them to be friends. I believe it will bless them. See, I believe one of Satan's greatest tools in relationships is he wants to do all he can to get people to break up and date over and over again. Matter of fact, I see it happening in the lives of students. Date, break up, date, break up, date, break up. Keep doing it. Date and break up, date, break up. And he wants them to do it so much that they become desensitized to it. So one day when they are married, if things go wrong, the answer is break up. The answer is divorce. Because it's just what they've always done through their relationships throughout their life and they become desensitized. Can I tell you that God wants you to protect you from that? See, protect your future marriage. Protect your life by being friends first. Being friends first will pay off in the end. Because one, you'll know the person really well and have a great date. Or, if you see dating won't work, you now have a friend, not an ugly memory. See guys, God cares about your relationships. He cares about you. 
He cares about protecting your future. He cares about that future great date. He doesn't want you to have to go through depression, bitterness, anger, sorrow. He wants you to live a life full of joy and peace. And so that's why he wants to help you set those boundaries. That's why he wants you to get his approval. He said, come to me, ask me. I'll reveal to you by my spirit if you should take a step forward or take a step back. And know that what I have in store for you is the best. It's the greatest. And God wants that for each and every one of you in all of your relationships because He loves you so much. He cares about it all. In order to have a great day, I encourage you, set boundaries and be friends first. Let's pray. Abundant supply to carry out and fulfill every good work to which God has called us to do. And we will always do it, complete it, fulfill it with excellence. Father, I thank you for all the buildings and the lands and the people and the congregation and the right staff and the right positions at the right times. I thank you for wisdom to make the right decisions at the right time and always be in the right place at the right time. And just went on and on and on. Did this every day. Every day. And that's why we started off with a bang like we did. That's why we're in this building right now. I mean, there's some other things leading up to this building, you know. Being led by the Holy Ghost and doing some sowing and reaping and stuff. But this whole thing was set up with words. Now obviously, you know, nothing comes into being without prayer. So there had been people here praying in this area for years and years and years. And I've actually heard some different testimonies from some different people. There's a, there's a lot of different factors. But, you know, uh, we have responsibility. And this is the part that most Christians don't like. Is the fact that we do have some responsibility in the way that our life turns out. Because most people, they just want to put it off on God because it's a lot easier that way. Because if my life doesn't turn out the way that I want it, I can blame it on God and His sovereignty. So this isn't a popular message. If you want to be popular, you don't preach this. But if you want to see your people grow, this is what you preach. Because people need to know their authority. Because it, it's, it's ridiculous that, that after all, all the years of, <laughs> that Christianity has been around... That most people still don't know their identity in Christ, still don't know about the authority that they possess, and still blaming God for everything wrong that goes in their life, and then accepting responsibility for all the good things that happen in life, or just putting it all off on luck and chance. You know, Brother Higgins, he said the supernatural, the, the realm of the miraculous swings on two hinges. He said the, the first hinge is what you believe in your heart. And the second hinge is what you speak from your mouth. He said the supernatural, the realm of the miraculous, it swings on two hinges. What you speak from your mouth and what you believe in your heart. Well, how do we accept salvation? How do we get the greatest gift heaven has to offer? It's what you believe in your heart and what you confess with your mouth. Actually, go ahead and turn over there and hold your place there in Proverbs 18. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse uh, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Now look at verse 10. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made. Confession is made into salvation. So in other words, you can believe all you want in your heart, but until you open your mouth, nothing's going to happen. You can believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ Lord is Lord and Savior, but if you don't open your mouth... 
Because it says the confession. Or in other words, the word spoken, the mouth opening and speaking it, that's what makes salvation unto you. That's what brings it unto you. That's what makes it manifest in your life. Well, if that's the way you receive the greatest gift, and we've talked about plenty of times how salvation is a package deal. If that's the way you got salvation, then how do you think you get healing? How do you think you, you see the prosperity show up? How do you think you see the peace and the joy show up? How do you think that wife will show up? I was speaking mine into existence, existence a long time before she showed up. Actually, when I was a freshman in high school, I made out a list of things I wanted in a wife. And I started confessing those things. Even as a teenager, I started confessing those things. And God exceeded those things that I wrote down. I started confessing those things. So now, I didn't confess those dogs that showed up. That was extra. And the ferrets, that was just the curse. <laughs> but I was speaking these things into existence. And have I seen everything come into fruition, the things I've been confessing? No, but a lot of those things I have. And just because those, some of those things haven't showed up, that doesn't mean that the word of God isn't true. Because over here in Proverbs 18, it says, A man's stomach will be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth, and from the produce of his lips he will be filled. Or in other words, you could say satisfied. He will be filled. He will be satisfied. So my question to you is, what are you speaking? What are you saying? Because look at verse 21. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it, they will eat its fruit. So in other words, your words that come out of your mouth, they produce fruit. You can actually think of them as vehicles, transportation vehicles. And what they're doing is they're carrying life or it's death. Only two choices, no middle ground. It's either life or it's death. Remember what Jesus said? He said, my words, they are spirit and they are life. So in other words, that tells me that because what he was doing, he was contrasting his words and everybody else's. At least those that are around him. He said, my words, in comparison to yours, my words are spirit and they are life. So that tells me that your words can also be natural and they can produce death. Well, remember when we, we looked over in Galatians um, two weeks ago and we were talking about sowing to the flesh and sowing to the spirit? Well, that same principle applies to your words. I mean, we're, we're looking at it right now. Sowing to the spirit, or you could say sowing from. Sowing from, because Jesus was saying, my words, the words that come out of my mouth, they're from the spirit. They are spirit. And because they're from the Spirit, they produce life. But words that are from the natural, because what did Galatians say? You know, if you sow, sow to the flesh, sow the fr from the flesh, you reap destruction, you reap decay, you, you reap ruin. Well, it's the same thing. Death and life from the power of the tongue, and those who love it, they will eat its fruit. Death and life. You have a choice. Brother Hagin, he wrote a wonderful book. He said, you can write your own ticket with God. Got a lot of flack because of that. You can write, you mean to tell me you can tell God what to do? No, God's waiting on you to tell him. God said, put me in remembrance of my words. Put me in remembrance of my words. So in a sense, and I say this very reverently, but in a sense, um, you're telling God what to do for you. You're telling God what you need. He's given you the bit. He made you just like him so you could do this thing. 
What did Jesus say? He's, over there in John 15, he said, If my words abide in you, you can ask what you want, and it will be given unto you. You can ask what you want. Well, why? Because those words are spirit. It's spirit. It's spirit. It, it's not, see, and this is the thing. We're going to look at this. It, it's not just about just throwing, throwing some words out there, saying something out of your mouth. Number one, it has to do with your position. The position that you stand in. See, the problem with those in their Old Testament, they didn't have the position that we have now. That's why God had to take care of the devil for them. They didn't have any authority. They didn't have a position to be able to do anything about the devil. God had to do it. But that's why when you go over into the New Testament, all of a sudden, the responsibility that God was, had taken over Satan, because Satan's already defeated now because of Jesus, God gave that authority back to us, and now we're supposed to do something about the devil. We're supposed to do something about our, our situations, our circumstances. That's why you see Jesus, you know, speaking to the storms and stilling the storms. He's speaking to the, to the water. He's speaking to this, doing that, doing that. Why? He, he's not only exerting us authority, he's showing us how to do it. He's bringing that back. God never tells you to do something in the Bible without giving you an example. It would have been unjust for Jesus to tell the disciples that they had all authority and power to go out there and do it if Jesus never showed them how to do it, never gave them any type of example on how to do it. God's always giving us examples. He's always giving us examples. But we got authority now. We got our authority back. We got our saying privileges back. So that we can speak words from the Spirit, words that are life, words that are going to produce life for your life. That's how you're going to see your stomach satisfied and you're going to be filled. It's going to be from the fruit of your mouth, from the fruit of your lips, what you're speaking out of your mouth. And so, you know, even though it's, it's joking, you really don't need to be saying, you know, my kid's a brat. You know, uh, my kids, he, they just never listen to me. I'm all, I've been speaking for the last nine months. Actually, a little bit longer than that, but especially we got on it once we found out little Jakesters coming along. We got, what, three weeks? Three weeks left? You know, we've already been speaking it. Speaking over his life, the fact that he is an obedient boy. And he listens to his parents. And he sleeps on a schedule. And then when his head hits the pillow, he goes to sleep. There ain't any of this... Whining and crying for because there ain't no whiners in my house. We don't allow that. We don't whine. We don't whine in my family. I don't like whiners. Because I don't whine, so I don't expect anybody else around me to whine. Because I know who I am in Christ and the authority that I have. So why am I going to whine about my situation and say, why don't I just rise up and do what God told me to do and empowered me to do? Instead of whining and crying about my situation. So we've already been speaking on that. When his head hits the pillow, he's going straight to sleep. He ain't waking up till at least 6 o'clock in the morning. But he's going to be good. He's going to be obedient. He's going to listen. He's going to respect authority. He's going to respect adults. We're speaking things. We're speaking that he's a genius. That he's intelligent, wise, smart, quick, witty. Good looking. I mean, he can't help that part. I mean. Good looking, baby. I mean, when he comes out, the doctor says, man, you're pretty, you're good looking. But we're speaking these things over his life. And we're speaking things over our finances. We're speaking things over this church. 
And, I, and I'll admit, I, I got a little lax a little bit. Because you know, when, 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 when there's plenty of money in the bank, you have a tendency to back off a little bit. Because you start getting comfortable. And then, because you haven't been speaking some things and continuing to put things in the ground, then when it starts getting a little bit lower, you're like, uh-oh, better get back on that. And so we got back on it. Glory to God. But we've been speaking these things. And, and the fact of the matter is, I know that my words are going to produce fruit. Because number one, they're based on what God has given me. They're based on His Word. And when you base the words on God's Word, you know they're going to come to pass. Because when you speak the Word of God, it is the very same thing as God speaking it Himself. When you speak it by faith. When you speak it by faith. When you speak it by faith. When you believe it in your heart. See, it's not just saying it, it's believing it. It's believing it. It's believing. Because a lot of people say, well, you know, I've been sitting there confessing, you know, for, for 10 years and I ain't seen nothing. Well, that tells me right there, you, just, you didn't even believe it anyway. That's right. That's where you missed it. It's not just about saying things. It's about saying what you believe. And that's why a lot of times you have to watch what you say in jest because a lot of times what people say in jest is really what they believe. It really is what they believe. Stupid old kid. Lacey's had to get on to me about the dogs. Because I got two dogs, just, they just run me the wrong way. And I say, oh, you tarted dog, you stupid dog. Dumb dog. Devil's dog. Dog from the pit of hell. Can't stand the dogs. But, you, you know, I mean, when I really step back and realize it, because I look at what I say over them, and look, then I look at what I say over, you know, sweet little good-natured Buster. And he's very obedient for the most part. I mean, you tell him to sit, he'll sit down. Tell him to come, he'll come. He's always happy. Every time you walk in there, he's just happy to see you. He don't care who you are, he's just happy to see you. He wants to lick all over you. And if, if you've seen him, and he, they got this thing where he tries to, he gets so excited, it looks like he's kissing his rear end. He just gets all doing like this, walking, wagging. But see, I've been speaking things over him. Like, man, you're a good dog. You're obedient. And yeah, I've been speaking negative things. I've been speaking death. And I've been reaping the results. And so sometimes I have to watch that. But turn over there to uh, Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to kind of skim the surface a little bit today and give you a little bit of overview and kind of go in depth about some things next week. And we were going to get started on the the finances, but um, after praying about it a little bit, I just felt like there was a gap there, and so we needed to cover this part, because we just finished talking about our oneness with God, and the fact that we are God's representatives, so we need to fill in this gap before we go into the finances, because you're going to see where our words, what you say, is going to have a lot to do with where you are financially. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I'll come and I'll heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. So in other words, the, the centurion, he understood all that was needed was a word spoken. All that he needed was a word spoken. 
All that he needed was a word spoken. Well, what about us? What about, let's, let's talk about healing. We talk about healing all the time. What about healing? All you need is a word spoken. Well, let me inform you, the word has already been spoken. And we've got the Bible to back it up. We've got scriptures to back it up. 1 Peter 2.24 By his stripes you were healed. The word has already been spoken. It's already been spoken over you. So now you just need to accept it. Receive it. All you need is a word. The Copelands, they put out a couple of series of, of books. I love it. It says, one word from God. One word from God. One word from God about your finances. One word from God about relationships. One word from God about uh, your, your health. One word from God about this. One word from God about that. Because that's all you need is the word. That's all you need is the Word. Yet the problem for most of us Christians is we have devalued the Word. We, we have a lack of reverence for the Word. And that's why we don't spend a lot of time in it. And that's why when the, when the situations arise and you get squeezed, that's why the junk comes out of your mouth. Because, see, it doesn't matter what you... I, I know people, you can go into the house at, and they, had, they got all the Brother Hagin tapes, all the Kenneth Copeland tapes. They got tapes by Lester Summerall and, and articles by Smith Wigglesworth and John G. Lake and just books galore. Everything looks just hunky-dory on the outside until when they get squeezed and you find out all that is is a facade. Jesus said, what, my words, if they abide in you, you'll speak it, you'll get what you want. He also said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. So whatever you're putting in, it's what's going to come out. If you want to find out what's on the inside of a sponge, you don't look at it, you squeeze it. If you want to find out what's on the inside of a sponge, you don't look at the outside, you squeeze it. And whatever comes out, that's, that's what was put in. Because the outside can be very deceiving. It's what's on the inside, so it's going to produce fruit. And that's what this whole thing is about, is about producing fruit. Producing fruit. And fruit that will remain. Well, if, it, if it's coming from the realm of the Spirit, then it's going to remain. It's eternal. It's everlasting. That's why, that's why I, I tend to kind of stay with some of the, uh, the ministries that, that have shown uh, long-term results. And have shown fruit for a long period of time. And I talk about Brother Hagin all the time. I can't help it. I love him. That's our heritage. If you're, you're part of this church, that, that's part of your heritage too. But see, the thing I love about Brother Hagin is, number one, he never backed off of the message. Even, even when he caught flack for it and he got flack most of, the, most of his life, he never backed off of the message. And, and he made choices, character choices, that put him in the position that he was. And, and one of the things I love about him is that everything he said, it came to pass. He, one, even concerning his life, he said, when I'm ready to go, when, in other words, when I'm ready to go to heaven, I'm going to go. And he said, and you'll know it too. He said, I'll, I'll know before I go. And he said, he said, I won't go until I'm satisfied. When I'm satisfied, that's when I'm going. And a couple of weeks before he died, he had a, he had a conversation with a couple of people. He told them, they were out in California. He told them, he said, you know, I'm just really tired. He said, he said, I've done all that God's called me to do. And he said, there's some other things that um, I want to do, but we're just not in the position to do it. And we'll, we'll talk about that one day because it's, it's very relevant to the area of prayer. But he said, there's just some things I can't do because people aren't praying. 
And, well, I'll go ahead and tell you too. He said, number two, people aren't praying. He said, number two, he said, people are just too carnal right now. He said, they can't receive this little bit, this, this, this God's wanting them to give. They, they can't receive it because they're not even doing what they've been told to do right now. But he told, he told this group of people, this group of ministers, about two weeks before he died, he said, you know, I'm just tired. He said, I'm ready to go. He said, I'm ready just, just to go on home. And he was 86 when he died. And, and two weeks later, he was sitting at home in, in his home with his wife and, and two of their friends. And they were sitting there and, and having a little brunch. And Brother Hagan just looked up and smiled and put down his head and went on home. That's a man you can follow. Because you can't find, there ain't anybody that can sit there and make any accusation about his life or his ministry. That he did anything wrong, anything immoral, anything unethical, nothing. And so I follow somebody like that. And other people who, you can see the fruit of their ministry, the fruit of their life, the fruit of their mouth. Over years and years and years, and it came to pass. It came to pass. It came to pass. I don't know where we got off on that, but. Verse 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. And actually, if you go over there and, and, and Luke, I believe, um, it actually tells you that the centurion didn't even show up. He, he stayed back at home and he sent a servant. So this is even up. It ups the, uh, the level of faith here and, and the character of this guy. He said, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. And then verse 9, it goes on to explain why he's so bold and confident in this fact of just speaking the word. He said, for I also, I am a man under authority. That's the key right there. I am a man under authority. So in other words, it's this authority, it's this position that I have that's enabling me to speak and see results. Because he says, I'm a man under authority having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes, and to another one, come. And he comes, and to my servant, do this. And he does it. He does it. So see, number one, it's not so much about speaking the words, because there's, there's, there's two things involved. Number one, it has to do with the position that you are in. Well, like we said in the Old Testament, the Israelites, they didn't have a position. Their position was under the devil's feet. But now our position is seated at the right hand of God, the devil under our feet. And so now we've got the authority. We got our authority back. We got our saying privileges back. And the centurion, he said, all you got to do is speak a word because I understand this word business. I understand how it works. I understand how these commands work because I'm a man under an authority and I have soldiers under me. And when I say to this one, go, he goes. When I say to this one, come, he comes. When I say to this one, jump, he jumps. In other words, whatever I say because of the position that I am in, because of the authority that I have, whatever I say, it goes. And then Jesus commends him. And he said, I haven't seen this great a faith anywhere, even among my crew. And, and you'll come to see that, that actually re receiving by faith, in other words, just, just having, to, having to have the word spoken, that is the highest level of faith. That is the highest level of faith. Just speak the word only. Just speak the word only. Just speak the word only. It's the highest level. Jesus said, I haven't seen this great of faith. No, not even in Israel. But this man, because of his position, he understood this law of, of saying, this law of sowing words, this law of speaking. 
this law of speaking. And so what happened? Well, Jesus spoke the word. He said, well, that's where your faith is at. That's what I'm going to do. Go on home. Your servant's healed. And it says that his servants went on home and they, they found out that the servant was healed. All he needed was a word spoken from God. All that centurion needed was a word spoken from God. Because the Bible says that God's words, number one, they're life. Over there in Hebrews 4.12, it says that the word of God is alive. That's why when you, when you read the Bible, you can, you can read a certain scripture, you know, every day for, for 20 years and you can learn something new. Why? Because it's alive. It is alive. And the degree of which, to which you honor it is the degree of which you're going to receive from it. I don't know why we keep getting on this honor thing. But, but the way that you honor it is the way that you're going to receive it. If, if you honor this and look at this as God speaking to you, then it's going to turn more into a relationship than just you reading a book in the library or something like that. He said, speak it. Speak it. Well, that's what God did. 